0: Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
2: Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Cameron Harry. And there's a man on top of me which any other time would be great, but... (laughs) That and more. But before that, I just wanted to say, you know, another podcast that Risk fans are sure to enjoy is The Truth from PRX's Radiotopia. The Truth makes original short stories in audio form, and it's beautifully produced. There's a new episode every couple weeks. Some are sci-fi, some are horror, some comedy, but they all tend to be kind of twisted in a surprising way. It's a little bit like if Black Mirror or The Twilight Zone were a podcast. (laughs) I highly recommend that Risk listeners start with the one called possible side effects. It's about a miracle cure for stomach trouble, and it stars one of our very favorite risk storytellers, Adam Wade, and it was written by the creator of Too Many Cooks, Casper Kelly. So find all of The Truth episodes on Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, or at thetruthpodcast.com. Also, I don't know if you've heard, but postage rates have gone up again. With Stamps.com, you can keep your rates down with postage discounts up to 40%. Discounts you can't even get. At the post office you just use stamps.com to automatically calculate and print the correct amount of postage for every letter or package you send stamps.com brings all the services of the US Postal Service to your fingerprints you buy and print official US postage for any letter any package any class of mail using your own computer and printer and then the mail carrier picks it up so no more trips to the post office they send you a digital scale to automatically calculate the postage they'll even help you decide the Best class of mail based on your needs. And yes, I said fingerprints instead of fingertips. We have used stamps.com for years now at both Risk and the Story Studio, and we love it. And right now, you can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four week trial plus postage and that digital scale. So go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is The Commodores behind me now. We are calling this week's episode Disorienting. Three stories uh, by people who found themselves in situations that were, wait for it, disorienting. Well, I'll tell you, last week's episode was one of those episodes that got an enormous amount of reactions out of people. And I was pleasantly surprised that the vast majority of them were very positive reactions. If you didn't hear it or you don't know, last week we featured a story, a kinky, scat sex story, that, um, you know, I gave warning about in a way at the beginning of the episode and then in the hosting segment before the story, and I made sure that the storyteller himself kind of gives warning midway through the story as well. I always tell people, you know, we really do encourage the whole idea that you can curate the show for friends or family or whatever, like when I went home for Christmas, I knew that my brother was going to love that story that uh, Kevin Bull shared that took place in a bar, so I played him that story. I knew my mother was going to love the story uh, uh, told by Sarah Longhendershot. I'm talking about the Christmas episode right now. So I played her just that story. And all the time, people are saying, hey, skip ahead to this story in this episode, or oh my gosh, I think you'll probably not like the third story in this episode, but be sure and listen to the first two. We totally encourage that. If you need to tap out in an episode because you, you, you're you like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty goddamn sure that <laughs> I can't stomach what's coming. Take care of yourself. I would say the only reaction that I really had a problem with is people saying, oh, there was no value in that story. There was no wisdom or heart or soul-bearing in there and that i just flat out disagree with you know sometimes people will write in oh such and such a story had no business being in the same episode as a story about death or god or something like that but that is the way we curate the show showing all aspects of life another interesting reaction that we got was a lot of people saying that that story was a perfect example of affirmative consent, negotiation, staying connected to someone throughout a sexual experience to check in with them. It's a good thing to be hearing about in this Me Too moment we're living through. And then, of course, as there always is with Risk Stories, there were people who said, Oh my god, it meant so much to me to be hearing someone talking about something I think about but thought I was a freak, etc., 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 people, you know, dealing with issues of shame and all of that. So, another fascinating bunch of reactions to another episode of Risk. And onward we go. I'm I'm sure there will be more coming as well. A lot of people, you know, don't listen to episodes the week they're released. But let's see what happens with this week's episode. <laughs> In a little bit, we are going to hear from Cameron Harry, really fascinating guy who shared a really, well, disorienting story at the show we did in phoenix recently but before that we are going to hear from the comedian and actress mailey mason she is based in los angeles this was recorded at our monthly show that we do at the bootleg theater in los angeles and so here she is now this is mailey mason with a story we call transparent
3: long nights of scorpion hunting with a black light. My dad would grill for us while teaching me baseball next to our super classy above ground pool in the desert of Phoenix, Arizona. And at this point, my parents are divorced. Like they've been divorced for a while and they definitely do not get along. And me and my dad's relationship just kind of consisted of us not really knowing each other but just being complete assholes to each other all the time and like a loving pranky Way Like, to this day, there's still things that I realized that were just things that my dad told me to scare me. Like, I was walking down the street, and I was like, oh, be careful of that cactus, because their thorns actually shoot out at you. (laughs) I remember my dad used to take us up to Sedona, me and my sister, and we would catch fish and frogs, and I climbed a tree with a porcupine once. Those were the few times that we actually connected. And those were one of the few times where I actually felt free because there is something achingly lonely about being in the desert. I don't know if it's the dry heat or the nothingness or what, but I remember always feeling super lonely out there. For the longest time, I just thought that I was just the token weird Jewish girl in my school that just... Associated the smell of gasoline with this shitty amusement park my dad used to take us to called Fiddlesticks. What I didn't know was that my dad was living a secret life. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so when I was 18, my sister had a huge art installation called The Candy Shop in San Francisco that just consisted of an entire store made of candy filled with hair and nails and pig thighs. I would send her bags of hair and nails for like two months and my friends were like, literally, are you a serial killer? Because (laughs) we don't know who you are. My dad is a construction worker at this time and he was helping her set up for the installation. My dad just looks at her and goes, so Leah, um, I kind of want to get a pair of pink overalls. And she's like, yeah, go ahead. You should totally do that. Uh, I also want to... uh, Get a vagina because I'm a woman and I've been living as a woman for the past ten years. Right after that conversation happened, I walked in and they were like, "Oh, hi, hello, hi." And my dad lost like a hundred pounds before we met. I'm going to refer to her as she now. We're on the same page. Cool, cool, great. <laughs> so. I was like, Dad, you look super skinny. Are you okay? And she's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> I was like, that was a weird response. And <laughs> my sister is an artist, and she's constantly... Like, a lot of her friends are trans. Like, she's surrounded by LGBT community all the time. Like, like when she found out, she was just like, cool. <laughs> so my dad said, please do not tell Maylee until I'm ready. And she's like, of course, I will honor that. And so, yeah, she told me immediately. And... <laughs> It was the perfect setting to tell me. It was a spring day in San Francisco. There was just like beautiful rainbow flags waving everywhere. And it was beta breakers. And if you're not familiar with beta breakers, it's just a marathon where people wear like superhero outfits and tutus. So it was just like, woo, like everywhere we were going. And she's like, well, now's the best time. What would you do if someone you know's dad became a woman? And I was like, "Hmm, I don't know. That'd be pretty cool. Why? Who is it? Is it Will? I knew it was Will. His dad is, I knew it. And she's like, no, it's dad. I mean, obviously, I was just like, holy shit, like, at first. Then I just, like, was, like, racking my mind being just, like, am I that clueless? Like, my dad's closet was filled with wigs and women's clothing. But I remember just being like, my dad is so funny. Like... (laughs) She is a crazy gal. And I remember my dad used to collect these little gold coins, and I would pretend that I was a pirate and go in her closet and search for these gold coins. I remember being like, bra, no. Pantyhose, no. Size 13 pantsuit, no. Oh, here are the coins. I'm a pirate. I need friends. When my dad finally told me, I was like, I had a whole speech prepared. But when my dad finally told me like three months later, I was just like so angry and full of resentment and hate. I did not expect to feel that way because I was angry that we had more abusive childhood than we needed to have. I was angry for the thousands and thousands of lies upon lies and I was also super angry at myself for being so selfish because I'm like this isn't about you bitch, this is about her. I didn't really cry until she told me not to call her dad anymore and that Max Mason is dead. I've had like a lot of father figures growing up and I feel like the one solid father figure was now dead in a bizarre way. And then she said, I don't care what I need to lie about or do but if I don't get a vagina I'm going to kill myself. (sighs) If I had a dollar. Right? If a person that said that to me. Just kidding. (laughs) Flash forward eight months later. Eight months later and my sister is graduating from Parsons University in New York City. I have been keeping this secret this entire time and keeping a secret from your mom is like fucking impossible. Your mom is like a scanner, truth-getter-outer. Like, especially my mom, who's, like, the most flowy, hippie person who runs organizations called the Vagina Warrior Condors. She's like, yes, tell me. I'm going to look into your soul and your eyes. I'm like, I'm lying to you. And so I say, hey, Dad, all the families go into New York. Like, how are you going to tell them that you are, like, a legit woman? And she's like, I think I'm just going to show up. I'm like, no, (laughs) you can't just show up and be like, hey, ex-wife, I now have bigger tits than you do. Like, That's not how it works. So if you don't tell mom, then I have to tell her because like, that's just super fucked up. So my dad wrote my mom an email saying like, I love you, I've always loved you, but this is who I am. Here's a picture of me, see you in New York, bitch. Love ya, XOXO, gossip girl. So my mom calls me just bawling. She's like, I always knew it. I always knew. I'm like, okay, no, no, you didn't. But she's like, I know everything. So my dad asks us, please do not tell my side of the family because all the Jewish side knows already like the cool side but my dad's like farmer Republican side like probably won't be super chill with this so we're like totally they're not going to be in New York we're fine so we all go to New York we're having a blast like I have never experienced my mom and my dad have a conversation both as women obviously and both getting along which was weirder than my dad even being a woman and so we're all chilling at my, my sister's apartment and my aunt Pam calls me, and she says, Surprise! I'm here in New York! I'm at Leah's apartment, come let me in! I'm like, Fuck! Dad, your sister's here! And she goes, mm, Send her in. Laughter And I'm like dripping with fucking sweat and my heart's beating. I'm like, am I going to have to like punch my aunt or like be like, like I will punch her. Like I I have already decided. And so I'm like running down, I'm like titting down the stairs, just like, (sighs) and I open the door. I'm like, Hey, Aunt Pam, Uncle Dave, funny thing. Let's talk and walk. Okay. So your brother, Max, now not Max. Now she's a woman. She's a woman. She's wearing a super cute polka dot wrap dress. So like, just like, um, yeah, uh, this is all the information I can give you at this point. Here we are. Just silence. It was just like, it was like a Western standoff, like tumbleweed going by. And finally, my Aunt Pam just goes, hey, Max, nice dress. And I'm like, uh, if I could just interject really quick, it's actually Marnie now. Um, and actually, it is a really nice dress. It's actually vintage Donna Karan. Like, That's not really sarcastic, but like, she actually has really, really good fashion sense. So... <laughs> And then of course, like the American way, my dad just goes, let's just go to dinner. So we all had a super quiet dinner until all the martinis kicked in. My aunt did end up accepting my dad, but my grandpa did not accept my dad, cannot wrap his head around transgender. It's sad because I feel like all that entire generation is just gonna die soon. So, my dad did get a vagina. Woo woo, go girl. You don't have to kill yourself, drama, okay? <laughs> I was like, oh my God. We got her matched for makeup. She now knows exactly what to wear. I'm like, Daddy, put down the blue eyeshadow. I don't want you to make the same mistakes I did. Keep the glitter acid wash capris. Where the fuck did you get those? Those would go like 90 bucks at Wasteland right now. Like, good fines, all good fines since my dad got a vagina, she has been like so happy. It also is weird to think that my dad's vagina is younger than I am, but I've like gotten through that milestone. <laughs> and it's true, and I think that like if more people accepted this entire LGBTQ community of trans rights, then we would have people who transition at an early age, and we wouldn't have people being abusive to themselves or their loved ones or animal friends, and even though it would be awesome for people to transition earlier, I'm really glad that she's transitioned now because she has all the wisdom and experience of a 65 year old person, but like a fresh out of the box machine. Like that's great. think <laughs> like brand new, mint condition. Like no headphone jack, Bluetooth only. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, I think that overall the best part about having a dad that's a woman is anytime someone's like, oh, "Excuse me, Miss Mason," I'm like, "Oh, please, no! Miss Mason is my father's name." I thank y'all. Thank you.
4: I'm sick of my penis always gotta go. I want a new vagina. My panty line looks awful with this penile bulge. I want a new
1: vagina. Just put me in the OR, turn my junk inside out. Hurry, 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 before I scream and shout. Inside me is a woman, I've got to let her out. Oh no. Till then I'm sad, 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 so sad, 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 sad. I want a new vagina. Sad, 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 so sad, 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 sad I want a new vagina Don't buy
4: my dad, 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 dead, dead, I want a new vagina
1: sad, 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 a sad, sad,
4: sad, dead. I need my own vagina
1: So it's... 2014 and my life is as normal as it has been in a really long time I am working full-time I'm going to school full-time to get a degree in computer science to make myself more marketable to the world (laughs) my job is a barista getting paid $9 an hour is not cutting it for me (laughs) my relationship with my mom is really great and the reason that that is remarkable Is that from the ages of 8 to 15 I did not speak to or see my mom at all and so I got to know her again and I got to know that we had a really strong connection that I thought we always had and it just confirmed it we if you look at a picture of my mom as a child it looks like me as a child but in a wig (laughs) Uh, and we had really great conversations about religion and spirituality and politics and we shared a lot of the same beliefs one day i was riding my bike home from work and i get a call from my mom which is strange because she knows what i'm up to usually and i pick up the phone and she says cameron i have cancer and this was a shock to me it was like a weight dropped in my stomach and shot up my spine to my head where it just buzzed, I was in shock. One of my most vivid memories as a child is watching my dad shave off all of my mom's hair that she was already losing to chemo from breast cancer and she had fought it and survived it. And when you beat cancer, that becomes your identity. (laughs) You're a cancer survivor. (laughs) So I didn't know how to process this information and so I didn't. Until two weeks later, we're sitting in the doctor's office and he tells my mom that she has stage four pancreatic cancer, which I'm sure you know it's rough. Um, She asks what the prognosis is and he says, maybe six months? And at that moment I went back into my body and tears welled up in my eyes and I turned to my mom and I said, this is really happening, isn't it? And she said, yes, Cameron, it's really happening. And so I did all the things that I should have done, which is I dropped out of school, took every Wednesday off of work so I could go with her to chemo and made as much time available as I could to take care of her, but I didn't, I wasn't really there. I was smoking a lot of pot and I just hadn't really accepted everything. Um, Eventually it was decided that my mom was gonna move to San Diego to be with her sister, and the chemo wasn't working. It was making her sicker, and it had started out really strong, but the cancer had just grown. It was too aggressive. I was going to live with my grandpa, and my grandpa is not the best roommate. Uh, he talks a lot and never stops. And so I was either like in a prison of my own room or just never there, because I didn't want to be there. But I quit smoking pot and I decided to get a job that paid twice as much as my job as a barista. Because I figured if life didn't give me what I thought it would, I may as well just go totally the other way. And so at Thanksgiving, it was decided that I would go out and see my mom and her sister and my brother was out there too. So I get a rental car and I drive out to San Diego. And at that point, I hadn't slept in over a week I think the holiday was looming over me and I knew it was going to be the last Thanksgiving I was going to be spending with my mom so when we're at the dinner table and I remark to everyone that the tablecloth is hurting my eyes everyone looks really concerned including my mom (laughs) who is really out of it she's on a ton of pain medication she's doesn't look like herself she is herself And she's still healthy looking but she has no eyebrows and she's wearing a wig that any other time would be flattering but not in this moment. So she decides to give me a couple of her sleeping pills that night. She was using them to counteract the effects of her pain medication and I hadn't slept in a week so it only made sense. Um, So I take them and I sleep nine hours. The next day I feel fine, you know. We go out for ice cream my mom my brother and I she gets like a caramel swirl something which is her favorite but we ask her what flavor she got and she says mint chip she's has to be corralled and so that day I have to go back to Phoenix and I start my job the next day and so I get in my rental car and I'm driving and as I'm driving it's like the further I get away from San Diego and the closer I get to Phoenix the more angry that I get and the more sad I get and it's like I'm peeling away these layers of things that I had lost. You know, I wasn't going to school anymore, I had already lost my mom. And I had to go back to this life in Phoenix with my grandpa that I really didn't want to go back to. And I got really angry and I started crying and shouting to God to wake me up. And I said, God, please just wake me up from this. This is not what I asked for. This." This doesn't feel real. This doesn't even feel like a dream. It feels like a nightmare. God, please just wake me up. I'm very close to the rental car return, but I wake up and I completely disconnect from myself and I decide that I'm not real and that all the traumatic events that have happened to me, those weren't real. They were all made up. And so I'm about to return my rental car and I remember thinking how am I going to tell my grandpa that I'm not real? And it didn't make any sense to me. Even at the time, I knew it didn't make sense, but I was somewhere way far in the back of my head. And so I looked down, and I realized that I didn't fill up the tank. And I didn't want to get charged by the rental car company to fill it up. So that would be crazy. (laughs) So... I pull out and I use the navigation system to try to find a gas station, and all these logos and symbols of like fast food restaurants and gas stations pop up, and I think this is ridiculous. Like, who thought of this? It wasn't any intelligent being. I invented it all in my own mind. Like, this is stupid. And at that point, I forget what I'm doing. I look up and I see that I'm close to the airport, and the only piece of reality that I can actually latch onto is that I was in the process of booking a variety show downtown Phoenix where I was gonna host and do stand-up because I was doing stand-up at the time and I thought oh that's why I'm in Phoenix that's why I'm close to the airport I'm headlining a comedy show here (laughs) that's the only reasonable explanation for why I'm here so I plug in the address to this venue and I start to drive and as I drive I'm like reveling in the fact that none of what is around me is real. You know, the billboards aren't real, and they're stupid, and the cars are not real, and I'm not real. The stoplights aren't real, and I drive through them as if they are not. But I make it. I park myself right in front of the venue where there isn't any parking. (laughs) I get out of the car. I hand my phone to a homeless guy, and I say, there you go. You're going to need that more than I do. And I walk in with, like... A confidence that I've never had in my entire life and they just let me in I think because I'm just like waving at people and saying like hey how's it going because I think I'm supposed to be there like for this comedy show and they just accept this confidence and I walk in and I drop my keys on the floor and I get on stage in front of a crowd very much like this one and they're all waiting for me to entertain them and I start to tell jokes, and they're not even really jokes, it's like all the cadence of stand-up, like, you know when you're na-na-na and you're da-da-da? I don't even know what I'm saying. And no sound is coming back at me because the microphone is not on. (laughs) And the audience is just staring at me like, what the fuck? And a guy says, get off the stage. I'm like, okay, something's wrong. So I get off stage and I'm like, What must be wrong is that I really have to pee right now. (laughs) So I go to the bathroom. I do my business. And I start talking to the guy next to me, which I never do. I I can't even pee in a public restroom. And suddenly I'm just like chatting with the stranger next to me. I'm like, doesn't it feel so good when you let it out after a really long time? (laughs) He's like, yeah. So I walk out two big hands grab my shoulders and push me out of these steel doors and slam shut behind me. And it's like every scene in a movie where someone gets kicked out of a bar for being too rambunctious. And it feels like a movie because it's it has this dreamlike state. None of it's real. And it's like every scene I'm fast-forwarding because I don't remember anything that came before it. And so there's a bunch of cars lined up. I'm in a parking lot. And I start opening the doors to different cars or trying to and after none of them open I guess none of these are mine I don't know how I got here but again the only reasonable explanation is that I'm not real so I walk around the block and it's like a cool fall night in Phoenix the trees are lit up for the holidays the street lights are perfectly aligned and the buildings look like a Hollywood backlot and it just adds to this sense that I'm in a movie. I'm like, I'm not even real. None of this is real, this tree isn't real, those lights aren't real, I'm not even real. And if I'm not real, then my clothes aren't real and I don't need them anymore. (laughs) So I take off my clothes and I start to skip down the sidewalk saying, I'm not even real. This isn't even real and I feel A sense of freedom that I've never felt in my life until I'm on the ground (laughs) and there is an immense weight on my back and my view is horizontal of the cars in the parking garage across the street and there's a man on top of me, which any other time would be great, but (laughs) not now (laughs) because I don't know who I am or how I got here and I'm thinking, did I escape from a mental hospital? Is that why I'm here? Am I, did I escape from jail? Are the cops coming? And my mouth is really, really dry. So I think, I must have eaten a pot cookie because I had a very similar (laughs) (laughs) trippy experience from a pot cookie a few months earlier. So I say, you know, I think I had a pot cookie and the guy shoves my head back down and says, don't fucking move within like seconds, the cops are there. The flashing lights are everywhere. There's four or five cop cars, which I think is overkill. But they hoist me up and they cuff me and they let me stand there for an awfully long time. And I think they want to let me live in my shame. And one of the cops says, you got some pretty bad bacne there. And I have no shame. but I say, I'm not just some monkey you can let out of a cage and parade around for your own enjoyment. And he goes, that's pretty deep. (laughs) He was the only nice one out of all the
4: cops.
1: (laughs) So eventually, they lead me back to the back of a squad car, and it's not what I imagine a squad car is like. It's like a plastic bench, which I imagine is so they can wipe up the residue from other random naked bodies. (laughs) But I'm sitting there and I look down at my body and it doesn't look like mine and I think, Who am I? Why am I here? Am I, am I Jesus? I'm trying to latch on to anything that I can and nothing's clicking and the cops start talking to me and they start listing drugs. Did you do crystal? No. Did you do spice? And I say, I had a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> And one other guy says is it something like the hangover did you come from Vegas and I go yeah it's something like that and I say you know my mom did give me some pills to help me sleep last night she's dying of cancer so..." and these words are coming out but I'm still not connecting to them but they ask for my name and my address and they roll off my tongue and they ask for the uh, phone numbers of my family members they also roll off my tongue They finally get a hold of my grandpa and he lives in North Scottsdale and he got to downtown Phoenix in like 10 minutes. (laughs) He comes up and I hear him tell the cops, you know, his mom's dying of cancer, he's going through a really tough time. And so he's sort of corroborating my story with the cops and one of the cops comes back and he says, so it looks like no one wants to press charges for indecent exposure, which I hadn't even considered at that point and I was like, oh shit. So, someone, a good Samaritan, gives the cops my clothes, the guy gives the cops my phone, I get everything back, and we drive back to Scottsdale, my grandpa and I. He says, you know, you're starting your new job tomorrow. And I was like, oh, am I taking my Mercedes? I don't have a Mercedes. I have a 98 4Runner with 100,000 miles on it, which is why I took a rental car in the first place. And so he doesn't say anything to me because he knows that I'm out of it. And I get home, I crawl into bed pretty quickly and I think when I wake up tomorrow this is all going to have been a dream. I'm gonna go back to being famous comedian and I'm in bed and I close my eyes and the events of the night just roll back in my mind and they won't go away and I can't fall asleep. And so I go out to the living room And my grandpa's sitting out there reading, and I say, did that all really happen? And he's like, yeah. Yeah, let me get you an Ativan. (laughs) So he gives me an Ativan. I go to sleep, and I start my job the next day, and it's like nothing ever happened. I've talked to my therapist about it since, and he said it was an acute stress reaction. I wasn't facing everything that was happening, and once I finally did it, It was too much for me to take, and so I disconnected. And to this day, nothing like that has ever happened to me again um, because I finally learned to accept reality. Thank Thank you.
2: this risk this is los colones behind me now and we just heard from cameron harry if you ever find yourself coming out of a situation like that of course it's a good idea to check in with a doctor that you trust and that comes with lots of good recommendations cameron was one of those folks who had never really done anything like that before shared a story on stage before you can do that too If you look us up, our submissions page at wristashow.com. Cameron is also the author of a short story collection you can find on Amazon called Stories About People. And before Cameron, we heard an interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. By the way, if you had a hard time getting through that third story on last week's episode, our audio editors, they have to spend many hours delving into the world of a story and hearing each part of it over and over and over. So I know that that one was really rough on Jeff, took a toll on him, but all the music he chose and the sound design he created, it was all so great. Now I want to talk to you about RX Bar. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar made with just a few simple, clean ingredients which all serve a purpose. Egg whites for the protein, dates to bind everything together, and nuts for texture. And in the interest of full transparency, all of the core ingredients are labeled right on the front of the package. No BS. They're perfect for breakfast on the go, a snack at the office, something to throw in your bag for a bike ride or or a subway trip. Better yet, beyond being a go-to snack that checks off a number of nutritional boxes rx bars are delicious they've got 11 delicious flavor varieties all of which are gluten-free soy free dairy free free of any added sugar artificial colors or flavors or preservatives or fillers you can actually taste the cacao the real fruit the spices whether you like sweet or savory chocolate or fruity flavors there's an RX bar for you. I had the peanut butter and chocolate one, which <laughs> is one of those things where, you know, it's hard to believe that it is good for you because it is so delicious. But for 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com risk and enter the promo code risk at the checkout. That's rxbar.com risk. And enter the promo code risk for 25% off your first order also are you looking to get a leg up at work and take your career to the next level With over 3 million members and more than 17,000 classes, Skillshare is like the Netflix for online learning. You take classes in graphic design, DSLR photography, social media marketing, digital illustration, so much more. Skillshare classes are taught by industry experts and experienced professionals. Perfect if you're looking to build your career and start the side hustle of your dreams. I've been checking out this course taught by Soledad O'Brien about how her work in journalism taught her to communicate in such a way to get messages out there in the way you would to market your brand, for example. I've been watching this other one uh, taught by Susan Orlean about storytelling. It's called creative nonfiction, so it's specifically about essay writing. But there's 17,000 other ones to choose from, and now Skillshare is giving Risk listeners a one-month free trial of unlimited access to all of their classes go to skillshare.com risk to start your free month today that's skillshare.com risk to start your free month our final story on this week's episode also comes to us from that show we did in phoenix This is the remarkable Nate Romero. He's done a lot of storytelling around Phoenix. You can find him on Twitter at BearCakes79. (laughs) He did such a good job that night in Phoenix. Very memorable ending of the evening and the ending of this episode. Here he is now. This is Nate Romero with a story we call Unrequited.
5: So I've never been one of the beautiful people. Growing up deaf, gay, fat, and Mexican, no matter what room I'm in, I'm always an other. So it really surprised me when when I was 17, I was at a little house party with a bunch of other little baby gays, and I was dancing to 100% Pure Love by Crystal Waters. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Yes. And Mike came up to me and he said, I love the way you dance. And I was just confused because this guy was mad popular in like the baby gay community at that point. Um, he was athletic. He was beautiful. He was charming. He's also why I don't trust charming men anymore. <laughs> and, you know, he was part of the in crowd and for some reason he wanted to be my friend. And... I was hooked, of course. You know, I want to be with everybody. I want to fit in. And so we started running together, and we would go dancing at the Crowbar after hours downtown Phoenix. Uh, We would go dancing at the works in Scottsdale. We would get drunk on Aftershock (laughs) in my mom's carport. And, uh... (laughs) I've never said anything she's just like you know what I don't know enough about the gay world to like criticize him so I'm just gonna let him be so you know we had a lot of fun and soon enough it, I, I was completely in love with him and you know it turned me to one of those things where you know he would tell me how smart I was and how funny I was and so it turned into that thing where if I finally do this for him he'll finally love me If I let him drive my car, he'll finally love me. If I buy this meal for him, he'll finally love me. If I let him stay with me, he'll finally love me. We all know how that ends. So it comes to pass that I'm working at Hands at the time as a server, illegally, because they serve alcohol and I'm 17 at the time. (laughs) I don't know how he managed this, but he got a job as the phone guy at the escort company, an escort company. He's the guy that you call when you want to order a girl, and you know this is before cell phone became a big thing, and text messaging still costs like two seventy five per
4: text. <laughs>
5: you know, I still don't understand the sorcery of you know data plans and shit.
4: <laughs> so,
5: he convinced me that it would be fun to come work with him at the Esco Company as a driver. And so, you know, I'm batching God, there I go, you know. I'm following the love of my life, and the more FaceTime I get in, you know, the more likely he'll fall in love with me. And, you know, I remember in the middle of all this partying and stuff, before, like, you know, right before we even started at the escort company, I remember one time he crashed at my house, and he was crashing my room in my bed. There was one morning I, we had partied all night, and we're laying in bed, and he had fallen asleep with his arm around me. I remember, like, trying not to breathe too deeply because I didn't want to move and, like, have him take his arm off me. And I remember looking out the window of my bedroom. And, you see, my mom and I never had, like, a green thumb. We were, like, we were shit at home meanness. <laughs> and we had neglected our yard till, like, it was dirt. Dirt and trees. And I remember this tree outside my bedroom window. We had neglected it so long that it had finally split itself open down the middle and it looked like it was begging the sky for rain.
4: <laughs>
5: and I remember thinking, dramatic as I was, I remember thinking that if I too could split myself from the navel up and beg Mike for his love, I would have done so. So, we start working at the escort company and it's a building actually right around the corner from here. <laughs> And uh, we got so many shenanigans. We would smoke weed and order a hundred crap puffs from a Chinese place still right down the street (laughs) and just fucking tweak out for the whole weekend. There was a home. We were on the second floor and there was a home for wayward boys on the first floor. And for shits and giggles, we would bust a boy out like probably about 17, 16 and bring him up and smoke him out. And the escorts would pretty much let them play with their tits. And we viewed it as community service. You know, like, hey, you know, these boys don't have much going on for them. Let them see a boo or two. And so, I, only now do I realize how wrong this all is. But my job was, we would get the call, and I would go pick up the girl wherever she was, usually at her apartment and we would go to the call and I would go in and check out the place, make sure it was copacetic, make sure it was only one client because we charge more for (laughs) gangbangs. And the thing is, is that that $100 an hour you see in the ads, that's the agency fee. That's what you're paying the girl to come and sit on your couch and do nothing. Everything else that you want to do is all tipped and negotiated and I get that $100 to bring back to the agency. So I would go in, grab the money, and then they would work it out. Well, fucked up as it is, our most popular girl was named Desiree. And she was gorgeous. She was half black, half Asian. She had the cheekbones, the eyes, the caramel skin. She was real fucking chill, too. But she was also very heavily pregnant. (laughs) And I don't know what the deal was. And it's like, you know, how do you act a prostitute? So why are they paying to fuck you? What's the draw? You know, like, that's not really a question for casual conversation. So I just left it alone. And, but, you know, she would often hang out at the office with us. And, you know, because she was so popular, you know, it just saved me time from having to go pick her up. I would, like, confess to her my feelings about him and stuff. And she'd just be like... I remember one time she very specifically said, you know what baby, one of these days you're going to look back on this and you're going to wonder why you were so hard on yourself. It's pretty true. So one night we get a call out in Scottsdale and this was before Scottsdale got all built up. There's still portions that are still like fucking cotton fields or something, I don't understand those. There's fucking farms in Scottsdale. (laughs) And so we get this call out in the middle of fucking nowhere. And like there's not even a street light. I actually missed the turn off twice because there's no light. And so finally I find this house and I go in, check it out, do seems cool, whatever. So I get the money and I go out and I light a cigarette. A couple of minutes later, the screaming starts. And I start trying to break down the door and I realize that it's reinforced. And that's when I step back and I realize all the windows have bars on them. So I run around the house and I start trying to uh, pop open the sliding glass back door and I finally am able to do it. I'm coming down the hallway and I remember framed in the hallway light, I can see she's on the ground and he's kicking her in the stomach there's a vase next to the entrance. And I grab it and I bash him over the head. And I remember thinking, huh, it didn't break into as many pieces as I thought it would. <laughs> and also, this is heavier than I thought it would be. And it was just one of those weird moments where you have a million thoughts in for a very short period of time, and then I jammed the rest of it into his back. And he kind of did the spinning wheezing groan of like outrage and fell to the ground and I pick her up and I start running to my car and that's when I realized that blood is starting to drip everywhere so we're in the car now I remember this before cell phones there's no Google Maps so now I'm driving around Scottsdale trying to find a hospital because it's not easily found and as we're driving she's kind of going in and out and she keeps saying just drop me off Just drop me off. If they find out what we were doing, we'll be arrested. I said, no, listen to me. I'm your friend, and I came over to visit you, and your boyfriend abused you. You don't have to name names, and you don't have to charge. You you don't have to press charges, and they'll just have to go by that. She said, okay. So I finally find a hospital, and I screech, and I couldn't even tell you what hospital it is now. They take her in, and a nurse comes running up to me, and she goes, is any of that yours? I said, no no and I'm fine and I, and I looked down and I just realized just how covered in blood I am and she said get yourself cleaned up and so I kind of washed my hands and I realized in the mirror that somehow the blood has gotten all over my neck and my cheeks and I feel this lump rise in my throat I just wonder how I got here A year ago, I was an honors senior student in high school, straight A's, and that's when I was like, oh, I got to call Mike. But, of course, he's tweaked out, and he never picked up the phone. So I sit there in the waiting room, just covered in bloody clothes. After a couple of hours, the doctor comes out, and he says, she's fine, but we lost the babies. And I said... Babies? He goes, You didn't know she was having twins? I said, no. She must have wanted to be a surprise. Can I see her? And he gives me a cold, hard look. And he says, She'll call you if she wants you. I said, that's fair. So I go home, and now This is that weird blue light before the dawn comes. And I'm in my mother's carport and I'm trying to scrub the blood out of my car because it's all over the seat. And a shadow falls over me and it's Mike. He said, thanks a lot for the ride. Do you know how much a taxi costs to get all over here? And I looked at him and I said, look at me! Can't you see what's happened? What have we done? And he looks at me and he says, yeah, it was really expensive. And that's when I realized with searing finality, he's never gonna love me, is he? So I somehow just channeled my grandfather and I looked at him and I said, don't you ever darken my door again. And I watched him walk down the street, and I realized heartbreak is not the right word. It felt like my heart was flaking to pieces. So in my desperate search for love, I ran off to Vegas and ran back, fell in love with a bunch of straight guys because, hey, if they couldn't love me, it was by design, right? I also employed a scorched earth tactic to make sure no relationship and nothing could survive me. Because hey, if I couldn't be loved, it was by my choice. 12 years later, I'm working at Gay Denny's on 7th Street in Camelback. And I'm working the graveyard shift, the fun shift. And it's a Saturday night, and a friend of mine comes up and says, hey Nate, look who I have here. And it's Mike. I hadn't seen him in 12 years. He got fat. It was all in his face and his neck. He had that that red nose of an alcoholic. And And I thought to myself, shit, I still look fly. But all I said was, hey, what's up? And I made sure somebody else took the table because I, I was not serving him. There's no fucking way. And, you know, I just do my thing and they leave. The next night, Sunday night, which is dead, and my early night, could I get out at 3 a.m.? Um, I'm cleaning tables, getting ready to leave, and he comes in, and he's obviously drunk. He had been getting drunk over at Charlie's. And he Charlie's used to be his cruising ground. He used to be able to pick up trade there like a Motherfucker! Like, anytime he walked in the door, he was able to get laid. Not this time. <laughs> and he sits down at the counter, and he and he he's in tears. He said, "Nobody wants me anymore, Nate." And I don't know why, but I'm like fucking country with him at this point. I'm like, "Yeah, well, things have been the same since she left."
4: <laughs>
5: and so. I finished cleaning and I go to leave and I'm standing outside and before I get in my car I decide to have a cigarette before I take off and I light my cigarette and he comes out behind me and he's like you have nothing to say after all this time you have nothing to say and I looked at him and I thought about everything that's happened since I saw him and what caused the break in the first place and I thought you know what no matter how many miles lay between us, no matter how many years have passed, no matter how many men I fucked, how many cigarettes I smoked, one thing was always gonna stay true. So I looked at him, I flicked my cigarette and I gave him a sad smile and I said, I used to love you.
2: Is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Tedeshi Trucks Band behind me now, and we just heard from Nate Romero. Well, listen, there is something very important that you should be doing right now. You should be going to theriskbook.com and pre ordering your copy and copies for your friends of the Risk Book. It is going to be so fantastic. The book is really coming together beautifully now. Stories are very powerful. It's some of our very greatest stories we've ever had on the show. Plus a lot of stuff you've never heard on the show before and interviews with the authors. A lot of these stories really come alive in a whole new way on the page. And it's a great way to introduce the show to other people who might not know about podcasts and that sort of thing. So go to the riskbook.com and pre-order your copy today. It's very important that we get lots and lots and lots of pre-orders so that we can maybe end up on the New York times bestseller list. Another fabulous way to help us out here at the show is to go to iTunes podcast and give us a great review. Give us one of those five-star reviews because the more reviews a podcast has on iTunes, the more eyes it gets, the, the more people know the show is out there. And if you've ever found yourself thinking, oh, I think I've listened to all the Risk episodes. Maybe you haven't. You might not have heard the first two years worth of risk because they're actually behind a paywall. But if you become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash risk for $5 or more a month, you'll get all. The Risk All-Star episodes, plus the ad-free versions of Season 1 and Season 2, plus access to all the patron-only content that we're putting up on a regular basis there. Bonus stories, behind-the-scenes stuff. So much, so much valuable content, and you're helping us keep the show running if you go to patreon.com slash risk. And what about if you're interested in learning about storytelling? Well, you can go to our sister company, thestorystudio.org. We have Uh, One-on-one training you could do with me over Skype. We have in-person workshops in New York, Minneapolis, and Los Angeles We have our video courses that you can download and watch at your leisure Uh, What else do we have? We have our of course our corporate workshops for the staff of your business so many great clients like Google and Pfizer, USA Today, IBM, American Express. So many wonderful companies have enjoyed our storytelling for business workshops, all focused on adding more emotion and more humanity to your communication in your career. That is all at thestorystudio.org. Finally, I should let you know that Risk is appearing live at the Bootleg Theater in Los Angeles on February 17th. An amazing show. Kate Willett, Diana Dinerman, Paul Gilmartin. A remarkable show coming up February 17th at the Bootleg Theater in Los Angeles. And on February 24th, we will be back at Caveat. In New York City, these shows often sell out, so be sure to go to risk slash tour to check the online ticketing and see whether or not the show is sold out. Sometimes there are tickets left at the door, uh, but you know, if the show is sold out, those might be standing room tickets, so be sure and you know, research that beforehand. Folks, today's the day. <laughs> Take a risk.
4: Easter egg. Easter egg.
2: Easter egg. Easter egg. 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 What fuck is happening with this Easter egg? With this Easter egg. 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 With this easter egg! Easter
4: egg...